Brownpaperos will host tickets available at independent booksellers and online at brownpapertickets.com. That's April 25th for Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is March the 13th, 2018. Ah, it's raining again. Yes, rain raineth every day. Ah, gosh, some people don't know if it's raining until they turn on the news. I turned on the news. Ah, in the wee hours of the morning haven't been sleeping a great deal lately. I think it must have been somewhere, I think around 2 o'clock anyway, uh, up and down. And I, I, I heard a report, well, it was, what is it, um, uh, not a documentary, but it was all about uh, Mila, you know, back in 1969, they finally got the... Uh, report in, and uh, it seems that the Americans had killed 540, 504 people. At first they said it was just 30. Never mind. It strikes me that I'm not doing much good listening to the news and wringing my hands. Uh, I sat down and wrote a whole bunch of stuff about our responsibility, blah, 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 blah. Same old, same old. And I... uh, I look here, and you know, you know, I am just dead tired, dead sick and tired of all this woe. I, I, I just don't think woe is worth the time. I mean, I'm awfully old, and I don't think I have time to go around wringing my hands. So I grabbed my uh, latest TV and movie reviews as I was leaving the house, and I have some here, yes, uh... Here and now, um, this is a whole bunch. Three billboards, the latest movie, um, several of those, yes. I, I'm putting these over here in case I have a chance to get to them because I want to tell you about just one thing here. Uh, it's uh, something that a friend handed to me coming down to the radio station 
It seems that the New York Times, as of Sunday, March the 11th, has decided to pay more attention to women. Would you believe it? These are the obits, of course, the obituaries. But, you know, obituaries are very often the uh, most permanent record of a human being's life. And apparently, even today, only one out of five, you know, is about women. I I just don't understand this, but... Uh, they did try. They did try for a while to change it. Let's see. There's a wonderful list of people they ignored, you know, like Charlotte Bronte and so forth. But I thought I would just read you a little bit of one of them because this is someone with whom I am not familiar. And I thought if it weren't for the New York Times, she would have gone right by. I, I'm sure there is a, a film coming out, that kind of thing. But... Uh, first, I'm going to read you Ida B. Wells, you know, the activist. She would be, uh, she was born in slavery, so she's uh, even older than my mother's generation. I'm jumping up here to Marsha P. Johnson, and they've given her a, a lengthy. <laughs> Gosh, I'm trying to think there was one, it's a black writer here, they mentioned it, got uh what was it? Uh, 32, 132, one, yes, teeny, tiny, tiny uh, bio. Anyway, the uh, New York Times has decided to uh, go back and dig up some of the overlooked, they call them the overlooked women, and uh, put them in the paper. Now, Marsha P. Johnson, as I said, uh, is a black American whose life, uh, well, as I say, I, I was completely unfamiliar. She was born 1945, died 1992. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. Marsha P. Johnson, activist, prostitute, drag performer, and for nearly three decades, a fixture of street life in Greenwich Village. She was a central figure in a gay liberation movement energized by the 1969 police raid on the Stonewall Inn. <laughs> she was a model for Andy Warhol, and she battled severe mental illness. She was usually destitute and, for much of her life, effectively homeless. Gosh, she made it into the New York Times. Okay. Uh, the uh, obituary in the New York Times goes on about Marsha P. Johnson saying that when she died at age 46 under murky circumstances in the summer of 1992, Johnson was mourned by her many friends, but her death did not attract much notice in the mainstream press. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Thinking this, uh, Diane Arbus was a suicide at age 48. And she got she got a little, uh, well, not much, but she got some coverage. Uh, Susan Sontag did a job on her in the New York Times once. Anyway, uh, in the years since her death, this lady, yes, uh, has been... 
what do we call that? She has surfaced, you know, there's an interest in her legacy. She has been praised for her insistent calls for social and economic justice and for working on behalf of homeless street youth. You know, the young people ostracized by their families for being gay or otherwise not conforming to traditional ideas about gender. Later, for her advocacy on behalf of AIDS patients, some have called her a saint. Got that? Marsha P. Johnson, a candidate for saint. The obituary goes on to say, many transgendered people have also come to hail Johnson and her longtime friend and colleague, Sylvia Rivera, uh, both as pioneering heroes. The term transgender was not in wide use in Johnson's lifetime. She usually used female pronouns for herself, but also referred to herself as gay, as a transvestite, or simply as a queen. Marsha P. Johnson could be perceived as the most marginalized of people, black, queer, gender nonconforming, and poor, said Susan Stryker, an associate professor of gender and women's studies at the University of Arizona. She goes on, uh, you might expect a person in such a position to be fragile, brutalized, beaten down. Instead, Marsha had this joie de vivre, a capacity to find joy in a world of suffering. Uh, she channeled it into political action and did it with a kind of fierceness, grace, and whimsy, with a loopy absurdist reaction to it all. I love this. I have a footnote here. My favorite, one of my favorite uh, Zen Zen thoughts is uh, joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. Hmm. I always think that that, that is a solution. Uh, not a permanent solution, but it, sometimes it works for an hour or two. Anyway, uh, let's read a little more about Marsha P. Johnson. She was born uh, Malcolm Michaels Jr. on August 24th, 1945, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, the fifth of seven children in a working-class family. Another footnote here. You see, I can't help it. Uh, old as I am, I immediately say to myself, oh, she was born a boy. I don't know when I'm going to get over that. I remember sending out announcements of the birth of both my sons. And I, I uh, sent out these little cards that said, it's a baby. Uh, I told my friends that it would not be a boy or a girl until adolescence when it would make that choice. But uh, that was pretty advanced for 1960 and 62 Anyway, I, I think I believed it in theory, but I, uh, uh, I guess someone born Malcolm Michaels in August 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Well, that might have been some 
something different. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking whether kids today, kids today will accept the fact that this woman uh, defined herself, named herself as a female, more or less, and she used uh, female pronouns. Uh, anyway, she was the fifth of seven children in a working class family. Her father, Malcolm Michael Sr., worked on the assembly line at a General Motors factory in Linden. Her mother, uh, the former Alberta Claiborne, was a housekeeper. Big surprise there, yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. The times, they are changing, folks. They are. Ah. Uh, uh, Johnson was around five years old when she began to wear dresses, but felt pressure to stop because of other children's aggression. Aha. Uh -huh. Later, Johnson said in an interview toward the end of her life, she was sexually assaulted by another boy who was around 13. She began attending the Mount Teman. African Methodist Episcopal Church as a child, and she practiced her Christian faith throughout her life. Later, she was drawn to Catholicism and visited houses of worship, uh, sometimes of other faiths. She graduated from Thomas A. Edison High School in Elizabeth in 1963. She promptly moved from New Jersey to New York City. <laughs> she later recalled that she had $15 and a bag of clothes. It was not, not an easy time to live outside the sexual mainstream. Although New York State downgraded sodomy from a felony to a misdemeanor in 1950, the persecution of gay people and the criminalization of their activities were still common. Same-sex dancing in public was prohibited. The State Liquor Authority banned bars from serving gay people alcoholic beverages. <laughs> Same. Same for blacks and everything. I don't suppose they could ever get away with banning Irish people from alcoholic beverages. Anyway, uh, the obituary goes on to say that uh, people could be charged with sexual deviation for cross-dressing. Uh, police enforcement was often arbitrary, indeed, indeed, arbitrary, indeed. After arriving in New York, Johnson alternated between going by her given name Malcolm and a persona she had created, Black Marsha. She engaged in prostitution. She was often arrested. She stepped, stopped counting after the 100th time, she later said. And she was once in the late 1970s even shot. She could often be found in seedy hotels near Times Square, uh, including the Dixie Hotel, now the Hotel Carter. Uh, it's on West 43rd Street. Hmm, the ones that used to make the most money, uh, that was the boys 
who could wear their own hair with just a little bit of makeup, she later recalled. Johnson was a key figure in the disturbances that followed a police raid in the Stonewall, at the Stonewall Inn. It's a gay bar on Christopher Street. Uh, now, I think, <laughs> uh, immortalized. Uh, that was early in the morning of June 28th, 1969, a big year. Many legends have grown around that event, often characterized as a riot, but more recently described as a rebellion or uprising. The evidence suggests that Johnson was among the vanguard of those who resisted police. That's according to David Carter, the author of Stonewall, the riots that sparked the gay revolution. She was 23 at the time. Stonewall helped to galvanize a more assertive, even militant gay rights movement. It prompted the first gay pride parades in 1970. The same year, Johnson joined Rivera Friend uh, in the uh, founding of the of street transvestite action revolutionaries or star they called themselves star that is street transvestite action revolutionaries <laughs> uh, they did this to advocate for young transgendered people and for a time they uh, tried to clothe house and feed them uh, they uh, worked out of a tenement at 213 East 2nd Street. Star grew out of the Gay Liberation Front, which advocated for sexual liberation and pushed to align gay rights with the other social movements. It's amazing to think uh, that that was like yesterday for me, I guess, for the young people today. This is history. History, yes. Anyway, uh, she's, uh, she's been interviewed here and there. There's a 1972 book, uh, and uh, uh, she wanted to see gay people liberated and free and to have equal rights that other people have in America with her gay brothers and sisters out of jail and on the streets again. She added in a reference to the radical politics of the time, we believe in picking up the gun, starting a revolution if necessary. Remind you of anybody? Yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Whatever it takes. Uh, the 1970s were a time of greater visibility for Johnson tall and slender she had a knack for commanding attention her outfits red plastic high heels slippers and stockings shimmering robes and dresses costume jewelry bright wigs plastic flowers and even artificial fruit in her hair yes uh, these were often assembled from scavenged or discarded materials Oh, we all did that, yes. Just put on more stuff. 
In a 1992 interview, she says, quote, I was no one, nobody from Nowheresville until I became a drag queen. <laughs> Among those who noticed was Andy Warhol. He took Polaroids of Johnson and included her in Ladies and Gentlemen, that's the name of a 1975 portfolio of screen prints depicting, um, what do we call them? Were they called transgender by then? Uh, depicting various, yes, depicting various, uh, Yes, various drag queens, yes, and also transgender uh, youth. That's what it depicted. Uh, the pictures were taken at the Gilded Grape, a nightclub. And Johnson was also part of a drag performance group called Hot Peaches. Now, they began performing in 1972, and she told anyone who asks, including once a judge, that her middle initial stood for, pay it no mind. Yes, that's Marsha P. Johnson, and the middle initial stands for pay it no mind. Oh, yeah, life was never easy for Johnson. She had the first in what she said was a series of breakdowns in 1970 and was in and out of psychiatric institutions after that. <laughs> uh, quotation here in parenthesis. She often said, I may be crazy, but that don't make me wrong. She was generally known for her warmth and charisma, but she also could get into physical scraps and be frightening to others. It doesn't say, it certainly doesn't say she was ever dangerous to others. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, historian and author Martin Duberman, in a book uh, called Stonewall, wrote... She would wander, start off talking about one thing and end up miles away. And People would say that drugs had ruined her mind uh, and that she was a permanent space cadet, yes. Oh, let's see, Martin Duberman added in his uh, book, yes, Stonewall, he added that Johnson's mind had concentrated wonderfully when she was organizing Star. Guess what? Yes, indeed, indeed. Footnote here. When people are given a task, a real task, something that matters, somehow or another, their uh, minds concentrate and they focus. Right, folks? Uh, in 1980, uh, well, that was a pivotal year for Johnson. In 1980, she was invited to ride in the lead car of New York's annual Gay Day Parade. That would have been the 10th anniversary, yeah. She began living at the home of a close friend, the gay activist Randy Wicker, in Hoboken, New Jersey. She cared for Wicker's lover, 
David Combs before he died of AIDS in 1990. Grieving for friends, she could sometimes be found prostrate before a statue of the Virgin Mary at the Catholic community of Saints Peter and Paul in Hoboken. She was also an AIDS activist attending protests by and meetings of ACT UP, the AIDS advocacy organization. In a June 26, 1992 interview, Johnson said she had been HIV positive for two years. Quote, They call me a legend in my own time because there were so many queens gone that I'm one of the few queens left from the 70s and the 80s, she said. Several days later, she was seen for the last time. On July 6, 1992, her body was pulled from the Hudson River near the Christopher Street Piers. Her death was quickly ruled suicide, a determination that many of her friends and acquaintances questioned. Hmm. Marsha Johnson has been the subject of several film projects. And they give you a list of those uh, working on film projects. Uh, Michael Casino's documentary in 2012 and uh, David France in 2017. I mentioned now in France's film, that's David France. His film is titled The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Uh, the filmmakers focused in part on the efforts of Victoria Cruz, a transgender activist and a volunteer with the New York City Anti-Violence Project, to investigate the case. In 2002, the year that Rivera died of liver cancer, the authorities took a fresh look at Johnson's death. They changed the official cause to, <laughs> this is in quotation marks, undetermined. The case remains open. Johnson's ability to mix flamboyant joy with determined activism is the central part of her legacy. As long as gay people don't have their rights all across America, she once said, there's no reason for celebration. It's a terrific picture of her here. I uh, wish, wish it were bigger. Let's put it up on the wall. Uh, she looks like that goddess in Haiti. Uh, I've forgotten her name now. Incredibly beautiful woman. Uh, I think that's wonderful to have a, a obituary of a homeless, a homeless activist, black woman, in the New York Times, and she didn't even paint or write a book or take photographs or marry someone like Diego Rivera <laughs> yes. all Farida got was yes wife of, of uh, Diego Rivera I tell you there's a wonderful obituary of Charlotte Bronte another neglected uh, well neglected by the New York Times neglected woman and uh, I looked at them all and I thought why is it People ask me sometimes that you guys have to have your own magazines or newspapers. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, 
Recently, I looked at a copy of the Beacon's Book of Quotations by Women and gave myself a little pat on the back. Uh, the fact is that uh, in the preface to that, that collection, Quotations by Women from Beacon Press, they note that, um, I think what it is, it, there is, there's one collection that has almost 5% of the quotes coming from women, uh, but I believe it's, it's either 1% or 2% in the biggie, you know, uh, Bartlett's quotations, I think. Anyway, uh, what have I got here? What have I got here? Oh, the movie reviews, and they'll all have to wait for next time. You've got time to see the last episode of The Zoo it's on demand. Try it. It's all about a kangaroo with arthritis. That's <laughs> wonderful. He's in the Bronx Zoo. His name is Dave. I'm going to write him a fan letter. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next week at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement involving Israel continues to expand across U.S. campuses and throughout the world. Discussing Sinina Myra's new book, Boycott, The Academy and Justice for Palestine, Angela Davis tells us that Palestinian solidarity belongs at the center of all our justice concerns. She insists boycott exemplifies the challenge of this moment. She urges us to fearlessly rise up to it. Sinina Myra, a professor of Asian American American Studies at UC Davis will speak at a KPFA benefit on Tuesday evening, March 20th at 7.30 at the Hillside Club, 2286 Cedar.